This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. This is our 319th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding chef and restaurateur who is based in South Florida and from my hometown area, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be bold. Be bold with your decisions, with your attitude, with your style, and of course, with your ingredients and flavors. Take risks, try new things. Be daring and courageous. Challenge yourself. Push the limits and experiment. You never know what can come without trying and what new opportunities may present themselves due to your efforts. So make bold moves, as bold is gold. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm thrilled to have my guest joining me. It is Timon Ballou. He is a South Florida-based chef and owner of the Catherine, Mrs. Ballou, and Ballou Walla. Timon, who was born to Chinese and Trinidadian parents, made his mark as chef and partner of Sugarcane Raw Bar and Grill, which opened in 2010, earning numerous accolades, including Best New Restaurant, and he was dubbed Best Upcoming Chef by the Miami New Times and Chef of the Year by Eater. Since then, the accolades have never stopped, and most recently, Timon was named one of 16 Black Chefs Changing Food in America by the New York Times, and he was nominated for a James Beard Award. Without further ado, hi, Timon. Welcome to the show. Hey, Shari. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to chat. I know we've we've talked about this for a while. <laughs> I think every time I see you, I'm like, you have to come on my podcast. <laughs> so Yeah, this is a long um, time in the making. Yes, yes. And so I'm thrilled it's happening. So um, let's talk a bit about 
your career and and how you got started. So so take us back to what inspired you to become a chef. Wow, that's I don't think your 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 listeners have enough time to talk about all this, <laughs> but I mean, it started uh, over twenty five years ago as I was a you know kid growing up. I used to watch. TV shows on the weekend like Martin Yan and Julia and Galloping Gourmet instead of cartoons. So I remember just always being fascinated with the restaurant life and chefs as a whole. Um, when I was in high school, I was pursuing a career in finance, so I didn't think I'd follow my career path to where I am today. I was really just trying to plan to go to Wall Street and thought that was going to be the key but my wife now girlfriend at the time convinced me to follow the dream and take a leap of faith and we did and I jumped into a restaurant actually here in West Fort Lauderdale again over 25 years ago and I honestly I've never looked back this career has allowed me to travel the world I live in numerous cities and just experience this this passion for this art and craft that we all share amazing who have been some of your mentors well uh when i was growing up in the south florida region you know there was a period of time that the most notoriety and acclaimed chefs were the guys called the mango gang and that was uh norman van aiken mark Mm -hmm. militello Douglas Rodriguez, and one of my mentors, Alan Susser. So I was able to work with Chef Alan at his namesake restaurant, Chef Alan's in Aventura. He was formerly of Le Cirque and many restaurants in New York. And he was probably one of my starting fine dining mentors to see the culture and what it means of, of being chef driven and being in the restaurant like from day to night and to cook everything from scratch. And he was basically the reason why I decided to go to Europe and work for the chefs of Nouvelle Cuisine and the founding fathers and really cut my teeth and hone my craft. Lucky enough, I also dub another chef by the name of Michelle Bernstein, my other mentor. When I got back from Europe, I was able to work with her at a restaurant called Azul when we opened the Mandarin Oriental back in 2000. And like I said, almost 20, 25 years ago in this industry, it sounds like, you know, we feel like it was yesterday, but it was almost over 22 years ago that we opened that hotel. And I was able to meet Michelle Bernstein, and she's a claimed South Florida and, you know, national and world-recognized chef for her great success and James Beard award winning and, you know, TV show on food network and, and a claim for not being just one of the best female chefs, but ethnic and diverse with her Jewish Argentine heritage, bringing some incredible flavors to the forefront. And I guess I've been lucky to work with those type of chefs, really passionate cooks, cooks that really cook their butt off and, have a profound respect for agriculture, South, you know, South Florida agriculture, seafood, and and really just culture and as a whole, and that's kind of dubs 
my kind of journey from finding a voice in ethnicity to understanding agriculture region and seasonality and the importance of that in our craft. And, and, you know, that's, I guess I'm really lucky to have had that experience. Yeah, no, I feel, I just feel lucky that I grew up in Miami and I I'm familiar with many of these chefs that you're talking about and, and Michelle who I've met, uh, yes, a long time ago and is, is, amazing and the fact that yeah she's a mentor of yours i'm sure um it's like uh that must have been an incredible experience she's she also has one of not one of probably the best smile <laughs> of any <laughs> chef in the industry so thousand percent yeah give give her that and she's just a warm wonderful person so so then what what brought you to join um, sugarcane or open when you opened sugarcane in 2010. And yes, it's kind of hard to believe this stuff was, yeah, and we're talking 12 years ago now. Well, as I was growing up, like you said, you know, my mom's um, mixed with Chinese, black, and Trinidadian. My father's Indian from Trinidad. When I grew up, I actually grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area before she remarried and we relocated here at the age of 15. So our, our, Flavors in the house was very Asian predominantly. And then on the weekends, you'd have a Caribbean cookout. So when we relocated to South Florida, it was a slap in the face of more of my Caribbean ethnic culture and uh, reconciling and meeting my father and the Indian roots and learning about all these flavors of Indian cuisine and Trinidadian Indian cuisine, like all the rotis and shark and bake and all these things like that. It was really kind of like a preview into like, okay, well, who am I? Where's my voice? So there was always that yearning of finding that that definition. So while you're cutting your teeth and coming up in, in the ranks, you know, we're all working in fine dining restaurants, predominantly European by base. So I knew I wanted to get closer into my roots. And at that time, it was more so like joining the Mandarin Oriental group, wanting to get to Asia, learn those uh, regimen and discipline of those flavors. I ended up meeting along the way a group called Sushi Samba, and they were predominantly, you know, Japanese and uh, Japanese by way of Peru. So there was a little bit of fusion there. So I was really um, engulfed and enamored by the Japanese refinement there. I found that synonymous to, synonymous to the French brigade and the discipline and culture, you know, the, the, the mastering of just a technique. And I was lucky enough to join them and, and be their chef in New York on one of their 20th and Park location. And, and that's how I met them. And, 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 and they eventually became my partners in Sugarcane. They launched this brand in, in Miami and we had a history together. And long story short, something that was probably supposed to be, uh, you know, it's temporary, lasted 10 years. And we were able to, you know, bring the brand to Las Vegas and the Venetian and in Dumbo, Brooklyn for a period of time. But we had to close that due to COVID. But um, it was a great learning experience. And it was a great period of my career of, of growing and, and finding and learning about where I wanted to go and who I wanted to be and what I ultimately how I wanted to be as a restaurateur with mission statements and, and the culture and 
and a, and a community within my business. So that's how I came and found sugarcane, and that's what we grew it to. And most recently in 2019, I parted ways with the group and started my own brand of TB Hospitality. And that launch was a, a restaurant by the name of Baloo in downtown Miami. Uh, it was a very, it was like a very, you hear the glasses breaking? Yeah, whoops, right I was going to say. <laughs> You're like, we're really in it right now. This is like our five minute break and it's in the restaurant. Well, I'm sorry for whatever just broke, but I, I, I like I like hearing the kitchen sounds. Which What, what restaurant are you in right now? Uh, I'm, in, I'm at the Catherine today. We're getting ready for service. The team is here setting up. Uh, it's our most recent opening. We're about eight weeks into uh, since launch. It's uh, actually not in Miami proper. It's uh, outside of Miami in Fort Lauderdale, about you know, 25, 30 miles away from my normal stomping ground. But uh, coincidentally, I've always resided here in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, with all of the madness of the past couple of years of industry and all of us pivoting, yeah, I thought it was, you know, wasn't there couldn't have been a better time to kind of come home, per se, and really just kind of express ourselves as opposed to always being somewhere else. Like you said, you know, in New York or Las Vegas and no connection at times or losing a connection to community. So this was a very important activation for us. I can't, I can't wait to, to visit. I'm actually going to be down in Fort Lauderdale. There's um, a conference called restaurant reset by map happening April 24th. And I was thinking, I'm going to try to get over to see you then. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Send me all the details, and we'd love to see you again. Uh, I guess like you told your listeners, we have a, a funky relationship. I remember the first time meeting you, I think it was a we shared a car in Aspen for uh-huh. food and wine, and we were just like bumping shoulders, sharing an Uber, and really, you're like, hi, and I'm like, hi. And so many years later, we're finally having an opportunity. I've seen you grow, so kudos and congrats to all your success and the growth of your business, you're a rock star, and it's beautiful to see that. And I would love, I know you've been to Baloo, you've been to Sugar Game numerous times, and you were able to see Baloo, and you know that activation was very intimate, and I hope you come and see us at the Catherine. Yes, it's, I would love to, and it is, yes, our relationship did start from an Uber ride in, in Aspen at the at the Classic, and um and it's it's been wonderful. Thank you for saying that about my career, and and it's been wonderful watching your career and 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 be, have the opportunity to dine at your restaurant. So yes, I did. I went to Baloo. I brought my parents, um, mm-hmm. who were very excited that you were coming on my show now because they are they do listen every week and they love when, especially when I have guests on that they know. <laughs> That's great. Um, and they loved, you know, the talk a bit about uh, the food you were you you were doing there and you're doing now because, I mean, I I think I I mean I my tip to be bold. I mean, your flavors are bold um, and and delicious. But it so tell Thank people you. a bit what you were doing who haven't who who didn't get to experience it. Thank you so much for those kind words. I mean, yeah, I think that kind of uh, echoes what I learned from my mentors, you know. They always cooked 
very strong and bold flavors. They, um, I'll never forget just working with Michelle, watching her cook, the use of uh, ethnic ingredients. She introduced me to some, some of the ingredients I still use now. Everything from like za'atar to tahini to, you know, Malaysian style curries and paste. Um, you know, my flavor is an echo of that. You know, sugarcane, we cook global flavors because, again, I think as chefs, we gravitate to umami. We gravitate to things that interest us at the moment, whether it's late night taco or, or sushi or Korean barbecue. And then we want to pickle everything and make kimchi coming out the closet to, you know. So I guess I'm lucky that I've had the ability in, in my canvases or my work environments to, to express those flavors. Um, so at Sugarcane, it was global small plates and it was a stronger emphasis on Mediterranean, but we had a strong raw bar and, and a charcoal grill. So there was a lot of technique there through live fire cooking. And when I left to open Baloo, it was really a coming of age to finding out what was my ethnicity, where did where was my where did the evolution of my voice originate? So it was an emphasis of my family's cuisine from Trinidad and the Caribbean, as well as again my girlfriend at the time, but wife now, Marissa, she's half Thai and half Colombian, and her father's a chef for Wolfgang Puck in LA, so in our house, there would always be some form of a curry or a nam prick or some chili paste, so we ex we expressed those flavors. Baloo was a coming to age, my kind of like revolt against the man, and up until then, I was following the corporate road and doing whatever, you know, what I felt you should do by checking off the box and having a big company behind you and all that stuff. But I also felt honestly from a human perspective, I lost my soul and I, Baloo was very much a coming to terms. So the activation, you know, like I said, you were there, it was completely one, what is it? One one eighty from what I was doing as opposed to large format restaurant. This was super small instead of, the pretty South Beach glitter that you always assume. This was raunchy in the middle of the, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 like, half whatever, like, vacant uh, building that you had to walk through crazy, like, flickering fluorescent lights and <laughs> had an activation in the back that we basically made look like a grandma's house that you would visit in South America or Central America or in the Caribbean. Just beautiful and vibrant with colors and vinyl tablecloths. So, I mean, your listeners are foodies. So I would say, you know, the vibes of what you would get in New York at Uncle Boone's or out in LA at Night Market or even in Portland with Puck Puck. You know, you have these, uh, these, Little, or you know what? New York has a great one called, uh, I think, Ugly Baby, which is incredible. Yeah. And you feel like you just stepped off of an airplane and you're in like Southeast Asia or you're not where you are. You know, you're not in New York. You're not in South Florida. And that's the first thing we really wanted to do by doing something counter the lipstick, you know, like counter the facade of it all. And if anyone was willing to walk down that crazy ass hallway and find <laughs> what we were doing in the back, we were really going to like, like blow their mind away. 
And it was everything that embodies what I think the, the integrity of cuisine is, you know, kind of like what we all are nostalgia of memory of, of like, whether it's a grandma or a holiday dinner, you know, you walked in the kitchen to get to your table and you had to leave the kitchen when you said goodbye. You know, it started with the core. It's about the food. It's about the heart and soul of the space. And that's what we tried to do with our bold flavors. And, uh, you know, we're desperately trying to, you know, relaunch that brand. But in the interim, we kind of did something a little bit more mature. And, and we launched uh, the Catherine, which is my modern version of sugarcane. It's in Fort Lauderdale. It's an ode to the woman that's been with me all these years and the flavors that we love. And it, it's still bold. You know, you'll have some of those same elements with reservation. You know, we'll have a beautiful snap, Thai style snapper curry, and we do beautiful jerk chicken thighs with, a, you know, a kale kalaloo, which kalaloo is basically the dasheen or the taro bush cooked in like, you know, salted items, whether it's pork or crab and coconut milk. And it's basically like a Caribbean style cream spinach. I'd describe it to our guests. And so you'll see those elements here at the Catherine, but it's, it's definitely not a blue vibe. It's more like a grown and sexy kind of like, I guess like a Steve McNally style restaurant, you know? Right. Yeah, well, I mean, Balu, I mean, the way I love listening to you describe it, and it was very special, and it felt like, it just felt like we were dining in your home um, mm -hmm. in an intimate setting, and actually Michelle was there that night, and <laughs> it was a very industry crowd because, well, everyone was coming to support you, but it was, it was, um, it was it was special, and I, I'm sure I look forward to seeing whatever you do with that concept. But let's um, I I can't wait to try the Catherine, and I also you have some other concepts. So you've also have Mrs. Blue and Baloo Walla, and this ties into my my question from my last guest. She wanted to know I had on episode. 318 Lynn House, who's the National Spirit Specialist and Portfolio Mixologist for Heaven Hill Brands. And when I asked her to ask you a question, her question was, what do you want people to know about your restaurant? So what do you want people to know? <laughs> oh, wow. I, well, you know, I guess, I guess it's, you know, right in front of you. I would hope people can understand that it's, it's that everything is, is, you know, every restaurateur says this, but Everything here is derived of a story. So it's an extension of the Baloo philosophy, and I think all our brands will, will emulate that. This is food from our house. This is food from flavors from our soul. Every plate has a story, whether it was a time past, an experience traveled, that we're trying to bring and relay a message. So the Catherine's position is that it's a love story of all the flavors that we fell in love with through our travels of being together over 25 years and, and being brought home to our neighborhood in, in Fort Lauderdale. And that, that highlights flavors from our house. So you have some of those flavors I mentioned earlier, as well as things that we love um, to eat, you know, on the daily, like clean food or seafood driven or, you know, natural wines and some craft cocktails, things like that. But, you know, what I want people to know is that the food here has an origin. And that origin is of integrity. 
because you know chefs were always trying to curate a story and it's a, it's an art form when you step into a dining room it's like stepping into a show in theater you always hear that 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 like metaphor and analogy so it's true we're trying to guide you through something that's special and what i would want people to know is they're going to be blown away by very intense flavors with a beautiful story and we call ours a love story here at the catherine and it's a love story for flavor cuisine and hospitality wonderful yeah i, I mean I, again i can't wait to try it do you are you currently operating your food truck or yeah so we we so we closed Baloo due to COVID, and as a pivot, we basically dissected two brands from there. We took the, the Southeast Asian Indian side and created a Baloo Walla that was being operated by our partners at Reef. And then uh, the second concept was called Mrs. Baloo, which was an Asian street food concept. So those two are living in like what you call, like I guess, the virtual world. And we have our brick and mortar, which is the Catherine. How is that running, running uh, a, a, the, as far as like a business model? Or I mean, it's the first time you've been doing that. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a complete learning, like, a you know, it's trial and error to partner right. up. And, you know, everyone, you saw everyone pivot. And I know it's bigger in, in metropolitan cities, the ghost kitchen uh, units and concepts. And I think there's the great successes, success stories. And then there's also the challenges where it's, you know, not as conventional as what everyone's accustomed to. Um, Cause you know, everyone could say, yeah, let's just live in the third party world. And in theory it, it goes great. And then you see the cost of all the goods go up and cost of disposables go up. And then you start seeing margins drop and then obviously all third party and their percentages. And so, I mean, there's always challenges on both sides. As an operator, you have to see what's feasible and work what works best for your model. You know, right. I can never say I can't. I don't think I can say more than other that this is the way to go. <laughs> I think everyone's kind of been trying things, and you analyze it, and we see if it's feasible. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I give you, Chef, so much credit. It's just so, so it's hard. It's hard. And with the pandemic, um, the, you know, yeah, pivot has been the big word. And it's amazing to see what people have done and that you, yeah, look what you've done since how you pivoted. You've created new restaurants. So pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> what, um, before we take a break, um, just one more question. My question is, what advice would you give to people listening who are aspiring chefs or restaurateurs? Like something maybe you didn't know when you first started or that you learned along the way? Um, honestly, I would say it took me a while to learn it, but just honestly trust in yourself. It sounds, it sounds silly, but you know, there's a, I know my biggest fault is operator and chef is at times I get into my own head and you start thinking of at times too much of maybe what the customer would want or only what the customer would want. And obviously you always start and you're as pure as you can be and you're trying to express your voice. Then you realize that you probably have a super inflated ego and no one really gives a shit about your voice, just if you can cook good food or not. And if the environment is uh, pleasant enough for them, but 
you know, I would say stay true to yourself, stay true to your flavors, and try to do less is more. I don't think you have to do so many things. I'm really fascinated by all these operations that do like a mono, one great thing with like maybe two or three accompaniments. I think the community and people just want quality and really great things. They don't need to be oversaturated by fluff. So worry about doing what you do best and stay true to that and all the success will come. I love it. Terrific advice. And on that note, let's take a little break and we will then come back. We'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on this podcast, now for some time. Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of the amazing new e-learning courses that they have available, like two courses on beer category and Guinness essentials, where you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Or if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, you can take this interactive course, which is called Spirits and Food Pairings, where you'll learn what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal in order to elevate their dining experience and help your check average too. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level, helping you grow in your career. And each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes too. You'll receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about Diageo Bar Academy and what they have to offer to grow your career, visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt in for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. Again, that's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Are you a business owner? This spring, amplify your business and support HRN's mission by becoming a business member. HRN is dedicated to spotlighting small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. With a $500 business membership, HRN can shine a light on your work and you can help sustain our mission to transform the way people think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You will also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org/biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org/biz. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Timon Ballou. He's an award-winning chef and restaurateur. He's a fuse restaurant concepts now in South Florida, which include the Catherine, Mrs. Baloo, and Baloo Walla. And Timon, it's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh my God, I wasn't prepared for this. Let's go. The pressure. 
This is this is like this is this is like the real deal here, the game. This is this is the show. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. Oh, eat in. How about indoor dining or alfresco dining? Alfresco. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Ooh, cocktail. Okay. How about a tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates for sure. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, chef's counter all the time. Yeah, that's my fave. Okay, a couple more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, all-inclusive. Asian street corn or Asian crack fries? Oh. Yeah, I oh. want them both. For <laughs> real? Jeez. I'll say the fries. I saw those on your menu. I, I like, know, I know. That was like, this is almost a loaded question. Well, yeah. Well, that one's not really so fair. I have another. Uh, how about this one? Um, jerk grilled chicken thighs or Korean short rib galbi um, sam? Oh. Another galbi. not fair one. The galbi, the galbi. Oh, okay. I love um, galbi. I can eat that like every night of the week. <laughs> Okay, two, last two is uh, cheese plate or dessert. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'll go with dessert. And Manhattan, Brooklyn, Miami, or oh. Fort Lauderdale? Damn. You're going <laughs> to get me in a fight in this one. <laughs> I... Uh. You do you want to start problems? I have to say Manhattan. Ooh. I, it's close to Brooklyn, but I, I the city is the pulse. I think it stays dear to all of our hearts, no matter where it is. I think we all know that culinary is, has defined itself as New York, and I think we all lean to it for inspiration still. As I talk to my chef friends, they'll still say, hey, I'm going to New York for a trip. Where should I eat? You know? It's just that city will always be synonymous as one of the best culinary cities in the world. I mean, Miami, we're stepping up. Michelin's coming this year. There's a ton of great chefs. But there's also just a vibe and a pulse that New York embodies that everyone around the world knows. What, Regardless of what industry you're in, that pulse of that city breeds, you know, creativity, yeah, well. everything. It's the truth. I agree. Uh, I mean, and I agree with, you know, Miami is stepping it up. I feel there's, there's a lot, there's been a lot happening over, over the past several years um, in the, in the dining scene. So, but yeah, Manhattan's Manhattan. And you didn't say to do what though? You just said the cities. So, I mean, I kind of assumed as far as like uh, overall, yeah. just like an overall answer. I'd rather chill in Brooklyn, though. That's a vibe. But, you know. I hear I, you. Yeah, yes, it is a. First. It is a, an overall, um, you can interpret it however you want. 
end end question. So <laughs> they all serve a purpose. Cool. Yeah, and you were great at the game. You, Thank you so much. Very speedy there. Um, so for industry news, uh, I've two articles. So first, just thought we could talk a little about what's happening in Miami or, or on Miami Beach. There was an article on Eater Miami, which is entitled, Miami Beach officials begin a nightly curfew amid spring break violence. The midnight curfew will begin later this week. This was by Ali Fowler. Um, this was last year they did a curfew too due to spring break just um, started. So just kind of... Uh, keeping keeping control of the scene and they're starting it this weekend at midnight i guess um as someone who's who's on the ground there what's i mean what's what's happening these days in miami and the beach is it is it very spring breaky <laughs> well you know i'm gonna be completely honest i'm i'm stay away from veering there because of yeah. everyone telling me just how spring breaky it is i mean you know, we're coming off of a year, you know, two years of pandemic, everyone being forced, bottled up. We're finally coming off of the other side, and I think everyone feels the liberation in the air. And I think, you know, this young demographic more than anyone's kind of like, you know, two middle fingers up, and they're going out and doing what they want. And South Beach and South Florida has always been synonymous of that. And our weather's beautiful, and and everyone wants to break free, and why not come to South Florida and let loose? So, I guess that's what we're seeing here. It's our, you know, spring break madness. Yeah. Well, I hope people are stay safe, and and I mean, it's I mean, spring break. You know, it's good to have some fun and uh, get enjoy the sunshine. But um, yeah, I guess they're Miami's being cautious and just. Uh, making sure things stay in order. So that was news, this big article from from Miami Eater. Um, the other big news I had was completely opposite. <laughs> I realized that, 180 here. Um, there was sad news that uh, uh, pizza legend passed away this week, uh, Domenico DeMarco, who's known as Dom, um, who founded Defara Pizza in 1965, uh, uh, just uh, passed away at age 85, and there was a few tributes and big pieces. There was one article I picked out in the New York Times that was titled, One Pizza at a Time, He Defined the, the New York Slice, and uh, this was by Pete Wells, and just really wonderful tributes. I saw a lot on Instagram as well, people, um, you know, who had special memories of visiting uh, Defara and knowing him and he really, he kind of was a game changer in New York, especially with like the slice, giving people more kind of a little more freedom to, to do that here, especially he used, um, I was reading, he, he used a gas oven. So did you, are you familiar with him at all? Or did you ever visit Defara? I, I have, and I, I, I'm familiar with just the entity of him being a legend. And I mean, it, I think, yeah, I saw, a, a bunch of posts on Instagram, social media, and I, that shows you the reach. And again, like them bodies of what I think so many New York legends kind of mean to the industry and to the world. You know, they they set precedents that influence all these other generations of craftsmen to kind of 
echo and take inspiration on. So that was a, I think that's a huge loss to the industry. And I know a bunch of personal friends that kind of mentioned it and sent tributes and the, the pizza friends of our world and, you know, they were all affected. Yeah. Yeah. I saw uh, Mark from Luke Colley wrote a beautiful piece on Instagram about it and the influence he had and being able to make pies with him. And it was special. I feel, I mean, I feel lucky that I did. I I went out, I was there once. I, I took, I mean, for people who don't know, it's uh, the location of the original Defaras in, in, um, in Brooklyn, in in an area called Midwood, and so it's it's a bit of a trek if you're if you're coming from Manhattan. But people people make it because um, my experience is you go and and he's there or he was there making all the pies himself, and it, it's not a slow process. You kind of got to wait because he doesn't. He's very he he he. I saw a quote even that um, you know he's proud to work slowly to make these pies because he puts a lot of love into them. Um, and there's something really special about watching him. And then at the end, he takes out uh, the basil and he cuts it with the uh, with the scissors, and you get your pie. And I mean. I have such a amazing memory of my experience going out there that um, it will always um, be dear to me that I, I had that, That's and so the beautiful. pie was delicious. <laughs> so That's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it's um it's sad news. I best to his family and friends, and and for anyone that I mean, Defara is still is still open in, in Brooklyn. They also have a location in Williamsburg that you could check out and it's worth going to. It's the really, it's a really delicious, wonderful uh, pizza place. And it's influenced many. Okay, so speaking of pizza, this week my solo dining experience is at a new pizza place and it's called, the restaurant is called Mel's. So here's the rundown. The location, 85 10th Avenue at 15th Street in the Meatpacking District, New York City. The concept is a casual wood-fired pizza restaurant where everything is cooked with wood on open fire. The owners, so we have Chef Melissa Rodriguez, business partners Jeff Katz and Chef James Kent, who they also have Crown Shy and Saga and Overstory. And Jeff Katz and Melissa had previously worked together at Del Posto, which this space is part of. Um, so they they are the team behind it. And Mel's refers to Melissa's name. So why'd I go? Well, it was an highly anticipated opening, and I love this team. So my experience. So last week, I had an early reservation on Resi for one, and... I showed up and I got really what was could be considered the best seat in the house. It was not only at the chef's counter, but it was at the corner. And so I had this great view just looking straight down the whole kitchen. And I was right by the, the wood-fired um, oven so I could watch the food being prepared too. And I happened to sit next to a chef who was, who was at the, the other side of the corner and we had a nice conversation. And I had, I had a really lovely time. Jeff was there. Melissa was there. I got to see them and the place had a lot of good, good energy. Um, actually kind of didn't want to leave as one of those restaurants you're sitting there and you just want to stay, but they were busy. So I did leave at one point. 
Uh, so what did I get? Well, first to drink under their no buzz section, I saw they had this Mel's Chinoto, which is a bitter citrus soda on draft. And the draft is what like captured my attention. I was really wanted to try it. So I had that. I also had a gem lettuce salad, which was grilled and marinated with burrata, mint, and chilies. And then I had the Soprasada Picante Pizza, which was tomato, mozzarella, and oregano, and a side of um, Parmigiano Fonduta. They have side sauces that you could get with the pizzas. Um, I didn't do dessert, even though I know they have these amazing uh, Sundays. Uh, I did get an espresso, though, before I left. So my take I love the Chinoto drink. It was really perfect, balanced, refreshing, non-alcoholic drink. Um, was down down for that. Um, the salad was delicious. Um, that was something I just note. They sent that out to me um, as as an as an extra, so I got to try that, and I, it was great salad, um, grilled uh, grilled gem lettuce. Recommend it. And the pizza, I really love the pizza. Um, I mean, you can't really go get go wrong with the Soprasada, but um, the pizza was actually a little bit lighter than even I thought it was going to be. It was kind of a cross between a Neapolitan pie and a New York slice, and it had a great dough and delicious flavors, and they, I had this Parmesan sauce to dip on the side, and which was also an extra, but it was, uh, you didn't need it, but it kind of added, added a little like oomph, I guess, to, to the pie. Uh, so the ambiance. So the restaurant took over. Anyone who lives in Manhattan might know there was a restaurant called John Dory. It's in that space, which is like in the middle of, of the block. Um, and it's a long, narrow space. And they they attached it to Del Posto's private dining room. So it kind of opens up a bit in the back. And uh, it's warmly lit, orange tones, polished light wood. It's got a little dining area in the front. And most of the restaurant is this long open kitchen counter. So it's really good for soloists. So there's my who's it good for? Good for soloists. But I think this restaurant's good for, for anyone, friends, family, dates. It's just a good spot. I'd say uh, my interesting tidbit is Melissa has been cooking at this dress since uh, 2011. She joined Del Posto right after it had received four stars from the New York Times. Uh, and just as an in, another interesting tidbit, it was the first time an Italian restaurant had received four stars from the paper since 1974. Uh, Del Posto closed during the pandemic. And so this restaurant has taken over a third of the space. And then they're also opening two other concepts. There's Al Coro, which is going to be a lavish Italian restaurant, and Discolo, which is going to be on the lower level, and it's going to be a lounge. So that's coming up this summer. Same same three owners are behind this whole, all three restaurants. Personal fun fact, Melissa is a member of La Dame Escoffier in New York, and so am I. The cost of this meal was $35. That's not including tax and gratuity and a couple comps. And... Would I go back? Yes. There's so much more. I want to try more pizzas. And they also have entrees. I didn't even get to that part. Um, all made also in the wood-fired um, open flames. Their website is mels-nyc.com and Instagram mels underscore nyc. And that is my complete rundown. There you go. Did I did I make you hungry, Timon? Yeah, I'm... I'm- 
like salivating right now. I, I wish I was there. <laughs> I want to, I love adding like additional sauces on your pie. I'm one of those. So oh. I love to hear that they have like these little dippers or whatever you mentioned. Yeah. So I'm going to like go on IG right away and try to check them out. Yeah. I think there were, there were five or six of them. They're, they were just called like, like, like sauces. I mean, the menu, the menu's more, it's not like a, a huge menu. It's kind of, you know, the different sections between the, the starters, the pies and, and some entrees, but they had these, yeah, they have like, a few sauces you could add on and it's, it's, it's cool. I'm not sure I had seen that so much either with, with especially at pizza restaurants too. So. Yeah. But. That's, I think that's awesome. Cause there's always like, depending on how you eat your pie, sometimes there's a extra bites on the crust. So it's kind of cool if you have something to kind of dip in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. And, and I, I know I didn't finish my pie. I had some leftovers. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it was, it's a great, it's a great new pizza restaurant for New Yorkers to enjoy. So when you come up, um, for sure, for sure, out. for sure. Um, okay. So my next guest is Alan Salkin. So it's time for the final question. I'm going to ask you to ask him a question. Um, Alan is a world-renowned writer on politics, culture, and trends. He's authored three books, including From Scratch, The Uncensored History of the Food Network. And most recently, he covered and is featured in the Netflix four-part documentary, Bad Vegan, Fame, Fraud, Fugitives, about the bizarre story of Sarma Mengelis. And I just started watching. Um, I will watch the whole thing by next week because um, I was here through this through this bizarre story living in New York, but this is a new documentary on it. And Alan is very involved in this. He's in it and he's written about it. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. Have, uh, so Timon, can you ask a question for Alan? Yeah, for sure. Especially since you mentioned that, because I actually just watched it like two days ago on my day off. Everyone's talking about it. So, and I was also working in New York when that was uh, when Pure was there. So definitely. Yeah. Um, so Did you I watch guess, the whole thing? I'm sorry. I, 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 I probably watched like the first hour, and then and then I said that me I had to run and take care of some yeah. business. So I was like, I'm going to head back to it. But it's always a trip when you kind of see a documentary of something that you're semi-connected to because there's more lore and nostalgia to it, right? So I remember I was seeing it and thinking, oh, I should go try to eat there. It it, it was very close to Casa Mono, and I used to always go to Casa Mono in that area. um, Anyway, so I had a different question for him, but now knowing that he's connected there, I feel like I have to switch (laughs) the question. Well, you can Uh, ask two if you want. Okay, I was going to like – Ask the typical question that they I've often received, which is, "What would you eat for your last meal on Earth?" Oh, so that's usually like that's two parts. Would it be an item or actual meal? But I think that defines a lot, and everyone kind of gets some good feedback by hearing the storyteller say what that is. Or so that's that. That will be my question. We'll leave the bad vegan stuff for someone else. 
for me, hopefully, to figure out what to ask him. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but 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 to answer, can you answer your own question with that? No, I hate answering that, that question. <laughs> I hate answering that question. That's why I said, <laughs> let me do it for someone else. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe you had your you you like had your an- answer like nailed down at this point. If so many no, people it's loaded. You. It's always loaded. It's always loaded. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? So I'm like, you know what? Let me lay it okay. up for someone else. So there you go. There you go. We will we will ask Alan and see what he thinks. I'm sure he's going to feel like he's going to have a good answer for this. <laughs> but um, amazing. Thank you so much. I, I wish we could chat for another couple of hours and um, hang out. But um, you're I just I feel very lucky, so very lucky to know you and and that. I appreciate you so much for joining me and sharing your story with us. And I can't wait to see you back down in Fort Lauderdale or where elsewhere in, in Miami, wherever you are. <laughs> Thank you so much for those kind words. And we feel the, the same way about you. Keep shining. And we're giving you a virtual hug right now. Ah, uh, Thank you so much. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> Take care. All right, you too. I will see you soon. And thank you again. My guest today has been Timon Ballou. He's the chef owner of The Catherine, Mrs. Ballou, and Ballou Walla in South Florida. You can find him on his website at timonballou.com and also follow him on social media at Chef Timon. That's Chef T I M O N. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin, and thanks again to Timon. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer, and I will be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then, and thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.